Hey, Foreclosure Fix family, and welcome to another episode of the Foreclosure Fix podcast, where our goal is to help 1 million homeowners successfully navigate foreclosure. I'm your host, DJ Alojo, and on today's podcast, I am diving deep with a real estate professional, um, a real estate expert who has led tons of real estate teams and is currently building out a full investor agent team at his brokerage. And his name is Mike Swenson. Mike, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for having me, DJ. Oh, I'm excited to have you on. I know in, in our in our pre-call, we were talking about numerous things, um, but one of the things that I wanted to kind of dive right into and give our listeners just kind of a little bit of insight is into kind of who Mike is, your background, and what do you currently do um, in the real estate world? Yeah, and I, I'll kind of tie in too. I mean, uh, you know, the possibility of foreclosure was something that was very real to me. Um, because I I did happen to buy um, going into the market crash uh, back before 08. And so that that actually is a, a kind of a part of my story and and part of my real estate journey. But uh, yeah, uh, graduated, uh, you know, essentially, I, I will say my upbringing was I was raised very much in a W-2 kind of mindset household, right? Get a good job, uh, contribute to your 401k, safe, stable, um, because that's what I thought that um, was was what I needed to do to succeed. And what was interesting is I went to college um, and ended up majoring in entrepreneurship. Um, and this was a long time ago. I tell before people even knew what entrepreneurship really was. I had a lot of my uh, you know friends and family ask me what that was when I I said I was going to major in entrepreneurship. Um, I majored in entrepreneurship because I wanted to learn a different way of thinking about business. I had no intention to start my own business um, because, like I said, I kind of had this W two mindset of get a good job, um, you know, safe, stable. The interesting thing is both of my parents um, ended up getting laid off before they hit retirement age from the company that they worked for, and we grew up in a small town, and so they were kind of left stuck. Um, now I will say because they saved well, um, they were able to kind of retire early, but not quite what they wanted to do. And so kind of this safe, stable mindset um, ended up kind of biting them in the butt a little bit um, because they they didn't necessarily have the funds that they needed to retire. But all that to be said, um, ended up majoring in entrepreneurship, realized I couldn't get a job as an entrepreneurship major <laughs> because um, that really is just kind of starting your own business. Um, so I ended up also majoring in finance. And so I got a job working for a nonprofit in finance um, right out of college. And so if you know nonprofit, you know there's not a lot of money to be made um, as a nonprofit. And so um, I got married a year out of college. Um, my wife was actually just finishing up her senior year in college. Um, and then we bought our first property because we thought that's what we're supposed to do. And so we bought in 2006. We were really excited because the market um, was starting to decline. And uh, and we got a good deal because it was a, a townhouse complex that was only two years old. And we bought it for less than they bought it for um, two years prior. And so we had uh, the appraisal. There was a little bit of equity there. Um, and so we thought we got a good deal. And then watched uh, over the next two years as the value of our property um, got to be half of what we bought it for. And we had a 0% down mortgage, um, really easy to get into, um, but we had this five-year ticking time bomb <clears throat> that was going to go off on us. And at the time, our lender was like, hey, do you guys plan on living here more than five years? We said, nope. He said, great. 
we'll get you a better rate. We'll get you this five-year arm. Um, and then when you guys sell, no worries, we're good. And so we had this five-year ticking time bomb arm um, that we ended up not being able to sell because of the market crash. Um, we'll get into this probably a little bit later. Turned it into a rental. Um, house hacked, flipped a few homes, ended up buying a short sale. Um, and so then I worked at this nonprofit for 10 years, got into real estate full time as an admin, um, not on the agent side, uh, worked for a large residential team of about 50 agents, decided I wanted to go on my own and launch my own team in 2020. So I did that my first day, then unemployed as a W-2 employee was actually the first day of COVID shutdowns. Um, so that was another journey in and of itself. And then uh, launched this team and uh, merged it into a much larger team uh, to, to have an investor-related division. Um, we've picked up, so so I exclusively work with investors now as clients. I don't do any, um, not a whole lot, I, I should say a little bit on the residential side, um, but we primarily work with investors. And uh, yeah, and, and so now I, I help investors and we pick up investments ourselves as we go and uh, enjoy what we do. Well, you just gave a, a great background and there's a lot there that I want to dissect. So first, um, Mike mentioned the word arm. So for those of you who don't know what an arm is, an arm stands for an adjustable rate mortgage. So that basically means your mortgage starts at one price, which is typically pretty low, but over time it's going to adjust and it typically adjusts up. It can adjust down in certain scenarios, but typically with the way um, our economy works, it's going up, right? And so as we unpack your story, because I think that that's that context you gave our listeners is so important for people understanding the perspective you bring to the table as someone who was facing uh, foreclosure and facing the, the prospects of losing your home and the decision process that you made. So I want to take a couple steps back and go through. You grew up in a good home, blue collar, um, middle class. Your parents had great jobs, but they both, unfortunately, were kind of forced to retire earlier than they wanted, right? And so you saw firsthand that things happen. Life happens to everybody. But then the other part about that is that you did something that most people were encouraged to do is that you decided to buy a house, but the lender who you were working with said, are you going to live there more than five years? You all said no, and they recommended a product. Um, and this is one thing that we see from a lot of different folks who we have talked to in the past is that they didn't know what they didn't know. They didn't know what products are available, what products are good, that they should be looking at maybe a fixed rate mortgage versus an adjustable rate mortgage. Um, and in the time of this, you know, everybody was doing that. So, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying you made an ill ill informed decision, but people just don't know. And so well, and I, I will add my lender was a relative. <laughs> so oh my. Got, got along really well. Well, and I would also say he didn't know what he didn't know either at the time. You know, it was kind of just like this, hey, we're going to try to, you know, I think their job is to try to get you into the property um for what your goals are and we were young. My wife was about to get her full-time job. We didn't know if we were going to stay there and like he said are you guys planning on being there more than five years? No, we were going to have kids. We wanted to move into a house. We didn't know if our job was going to take us somewhere else. We honestly didn't give it much thought. We just said, no, we're not going to be here five years. And how could he have predicted two years after that, you know, this huge downturn where all the, the, the property values get cut in half. So I would say to his point too, it was kind of like, oh, you're going to be here more than five years. Nope. Okay. Let's do the five-year arm because it gets you the best rate. So I would say, and I mean, we're, we're still friends today. We still hang out today. So I don't think he was trying to run something by me. Like we had a great, great relationship. Um, I just think 
not necessarily everybody saw what was coming down the line um, and could have predicted it was that bad. Yeah. And so that's a really great point you highlight, right? You all are still friends today or still family today, I guess. But you highlight something that's very important is that when we are getting advice from folks, even the professionals don't always have an accurate crystal ball. Nobody does. And so you have to make sure that when you are in certain situations and you're looking for who to blame, don't just beat yourself up because you made a bad decision or because you're facing foreclosure. Sometimes there are things outside of your control that happen, the economy, job loss, health, whatever it may be the case that causes you to be in foreclosure. And so give yourself a break. It is okay. And you can rebound. And so Mike, fast forward now, how did you all get out that situation? What did you all do? Kind of walk our listeners through like the steps you took once you realized that, all right, you're in a position, you're upside down, your house doesn't have any equity and you got a big adjustable rate mortgage on your back that's going to adjust what was what steps did you take what what was those conversations like with your wife or your family like help us understand that process yeah i I think i just you know i i saw what was coming down the line and i wasn't afraid to go ask questions and seek counsel from people you know i wouldn't even necessarily say advice i was seeking you know what are my possibilities um and so what ended up what how this kind of played out is um you know i could see okay the initial plan was we were going to be there for less than five years we were going to sell we were going to make money because the house was going to appreciate and we were going to move on well as i started to see the market shift i thought okay the market isn't going to appreciate here so we may not be able to sell so then the thought was like could we just kind of get back or maybe take a small loss if we did have to sell and move on to the next property. And pretty quickly, I could start to see that that wasn't going to be a possibility. So then I said, okay, we've got this five-year arm that's happening. What's going to happen in five years? You know, So I started to run some numbers. I started to read that document a little bit more closely to see, okay, what was actually going to happen and what was that new payment going to be? And then to be honest, I, I started to ask some questions. So I reached out to my cousin lender um, and said, hey, um, what would it look like? So so, so the reality is, is I, I, I kind of saw it as I had maybe three choices there, right? So it was like, okay, property values are going down. At the time I started those conversations, I'm not quite sure where they're at, but I know it bottomed out at about half of what we bought it for. Um, most of my neighbors did do short sales and foreclosures. And I remember talking to my my next door neighbor, we would sit and chat all the time outside. And he's basically like, yeah, I can't afford this anything anymore. I'm I'm gone. I'm done. You know, and so that was the mindset of a lot of people. I wasn't going to give up. I wasn't going to just get that on my record and, and say, OK, you know, wait, wait seven years and move on. So I was like, OK, how do I do this? So, yeah, the, the choice. Number one, I would say. Um, I had to accept responsibility for my decision, right? I couldn't blame him. Um, it wasn't his fault. And like I said, he had no, I, I mean, I don't think he had any ill will. I don't think he tried to run anything by me. Um, you know, he, he cared a lot for me. And, and like I said, it was, it was my decision to make. And so I didn't hold any ill will. So as I started to try to get out of this, I reached back out to him and I said, Hey, if we could turn this into a rental, what would that look like? Because I said my, my three choices really stay until the market came back, try to figure out a way to make the payments, right? So we would, would just accept the fact we'd have to live there longer than five years and, and try to make those payments. 
Option two was try to turn it into a rental somehow, um, try to get the numbers to work to where we could rent it out so that we could buy a house. And then option three was, you know, some sort of short sale foreclosure, try to sell. And, and I just, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to try to exhaust any other option. So that's where I reached back out to the lender and I said, hey, <clears throat> how could we, what, would, what could we qualify for if we did buy another property and somehow turn this into a rental? And so he kind of laid out the path. Here's what you need to do. And so I just ran the numbers, right? I was a financial analyst. So I put together some great spreadsheets, which is what I love to do in times of crisis, make a spreadsheet, right? <laughs> so that's what I like to do. So it might not be anybody's cup of tea, but for me, it was, you know, run some numbers, put together a spreadsheet here. And what I, what I could see happen is I basically got a number from him of you could qualify for um, this property value and here's what would need to happen on the rental side. And so we ended up buying a short sale property. So um, our cap at that time, so we bought the property for 165-ish. It was a townhouse. Um, our cap for our budget was 150. Um, so we went backwards. Um, but if we were able to turn that into a rental, we were gonna qualify for that. And so I said, okay, let's set up the budget for 150, see what we can find. And then in the meantime, we were reaching out to people to try to see who might be interested in renting this property. Well, one of my wife's coworkers um, <clears throat> was a younger couple and they were planning on moving back home. So their their family was from out east. And uh, so they were planning on moving back in a couple of years. So they didn't want to buy anything. They previously were renting a townhouse and said, great, we'd love to rent your townhouse. And so we had that person lined up for the first year's lease before I kind of made the jump of let's go do this. And so I would say it was a calculated risk. So I already knew what my rent was going to be coming in. I knew I just barely qualified for the loan and I was comfortable with my new payment um, on the new property. Now, that being said, um, I also had to take care of this five-year arm. And so what I did in that case is I talked to my in-laws and I said, hey, here's what's going to happen with this five-year arm. Um, do you have any op options out there or do you know of something that we can do? Well, they had, you know, they've owned their home. I think they bought their home back in like the 70s. So they had a ton of equity in their house. And so they were actually going to refinance their property anyhow to get a lower rate, pay off some other stuff. And so they agreed to do a home equity line of credit for us. Um, to refinance that that 20% second mortgage that we had, um, which actually, I think if I remember right, reduced our payment on that. So we went from possibly having this monster time bomb to now our property uh, or our payment is actually going to be less than what it was previously. So it was a few things over time. Like I just saw, um, I kind of looked at it as a, as a chessboard. I had to make a few moves um, before. So it, it didn't, wasn't just linear. I was investigating a few different options, but over time I was able to kind of restructure that debt, find a rental, but then talk to my lender and see, okay, what could we possibly qualify for? And is that a risk that I'm, I'm comfortable taking? And so all those things kind of lined up, but like I said, most of my neighbors, you know, foreclosures and short sales all around. Well, Mike, you said something and you highlighted something in that conversation that I really want people to to make sure they lean into and they listen to. One is that you said that you figured out multiple options. And I think you you gave three. You had the short sale foreclosure option, which was one option. You mm -hmm. had the stay there option. And then you also had the rented option. 
And I think if you're listening to this podcast and you're facing foreclosure, it's so important that you understand you have multiple options. And foreclosure is not your only option when you're facing foreclosure. You have numerous different ways to be able to capitalize from your property or to be able to take a different path to get to the outcome you want. And so understanding that is so huge in moving forward the right way. The other thing that you said, though, is that you started asking questions and you started asking people questions. And I think a lot of people who are facing foreclosure do not do that. They don't ask questions. They are looking for a magic pill that's going to solve their problem. That magic pill does not exist. What exists are people who can give you pieces and bits of information that you can then go and take back to your own specific situation and come up with the best solution for you. And I think you highlighted that very, very well and saying you started talking back to your loan officer and then you started talking to your in-laws and then you were creating your spreadsheets. I know that you and your wife were probably having numerous conversations about this at that point. And it's just a, really a process that you started early too. And so some people wait until the week before the foreclosure sale or a month before the foreclosure sale before they start taking this serious. You saw this on the horizon um, and you were able to make the right actions much before or much sooner than you needed to, which gave you probably some peace and comfort, but it also left you in a position where you had tons of options. And the option you chose was to buy a different house and rent this one out. Mm -hmm. so, so that was your situation. Help our listeners understand like what happened to the property, what's going on with the property now? Do you all still own it or, or kind of what does that look like for you um, many years down the road? Yeah. So when I originally kind of thought through this plan, um, my assumption was it was going to take probably eight to 10 years for the value of the property to come back to where we could probably break even on it. And when I say break even, I mean, sell it what we bought it for, right? In the meantime, the mortgage is getting paid down so that our mortgage would have been less, um, but kind of break even, sell it for what we bought it for. So we bought it in 2006. Um, we turned it into a rental about 2010, and we actually ended up holding it till 2021. We sold it in January of 2021. So we held it for 15 years. Um, now I will say, uh, running a rental for a property that at the time was, well, when we turned it into a rental, six years old, had, you know, association that took care of the exterior, the maintenance and all that. We really just had to take care of the interior, which was very minimal. It was two bedrooms, two baths, very simple, efficient layout. Um, and we ended up being fortunate in finding a renter that stayed there for seven years, um, the last seven years that we owned that property. And so when they moved on, um, they moved out of state, then we decided it was finally a good time to sell. But we had a few different renters over time. We actually had an Elvis impersonator that rented it out. And yeah, I kid you not, used one of the two bedrooms for all of his outfits um, because I was in there one time uh, doing some maintenance or changing batteries in the smoke detectors. And one entire bedroom was all of his clothes um, for his Elvis impersonators. But um, yeah, I figured it out. You know, I didn't know what the future was going to hold, but I needed to figure out, okay, what's the next step or two? Am I comfortable with that? Okay. And then move forward. And so when I look back, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happened during that time we owned the property, but um, I was able to kind of take it step by step and figure things out. 
Well, Mike, your story is just an example of the fortitude that people need and the vision that people need to have when they come up against something they didn't expect or plan. Um, that could have taken you out. Like you and your wife could have basically, you know, been in a situation where you were renters for the rest of your lives or at least for a significant portion of your lives. But by you stepping up, owning, owning that you uh, had to make some decisions that were tough and challenging, you were able to best position yourself for the future. Um, and now fast forward, you're running real estate teams, you have numerous rental and, and investment properties, and you are helping investors and homeowners, you know, in their vision to create better futures for themselves. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I will add uh, for, for listeners out there is, you know, I had mentioned I left my W-2 job in 2020 to start my own team. Um, and that was at the beginning of COVID. So I had just gotten my real estate license. Now I had been on a team for six years, so I understood how real estate happened, but I had never been a licensed agent because I was on the admin side. So 2020, the, the country shuts down and I'm wondering how am I going to get a client? Like, do we have to like go to properties in hazmat suits? Like, what is this going to look like? Like, when can we go into properties again? And so I had a difficult time at, there as well, because I didn't know where I was going to make money because the country had shut down. Now, it didn't catch me off guard because kind of winding down my previous team and going off on my own, it was like a six month process. So it wasn't just like I was, you know, out on the street one day, but I hadn't done anything prior to that to prepare for it. And so uh, mortgage companies, right? They like to see good, solid, stable W-2 income going from a W-2 to being self-employed. Um, they want to see two years of tax returns before they'll even look at qualifying you for a mortgage. So I will say my first two years um, weren't that great <laughs> for sales, right? Because the country was shut down for the first six months. Um, and so it took a little while to get things going. And, and so I was building it. So even as it comes to qualifying for a mortgage, like I've been rejected by banks um, going and getting lines of credit and things like that. But I look at it as um, there's somebody out there that has the solution for my problem. I just have to go find that person. And so it's more conversations. And I remember for, for my podcast, I had interviewed a guy. I think he had talked to 75 different banks before he got a bank to say yes when he was looking for a loan for a commercial property. And so that always helps remind me I may have had five five people say no to what I'm looking for, um, but this guy took 75 <laughs> to get his yes, right? So there's a yes out there. It just takes some time and some networking to try to find where that yes might come from or where that potential solution might come from, um, whatever situation you're in. No, and that's that, that's that sense of resiliency that you have to have. Um, but the other thing about that is that 75 knows that takes a lot of time to get. So if you are late in the game and you're trying to wait, you know, you won't have the option to explore more solutions. And so Mike, I, I just appreciate your transparency um, because you you know, as a podcast host, how hard it is to get good guests on your podcast, but people who are transparent about what they're going through and not, and not, um, not trying to 
fake it. <laughs> you know, it's so hard, but I appreciate your transparency and just letting our listeners know that, you know, one, you can overcome things, but then two, even as somebody who's an entrepreneur now in today's world, that starting a business at the beginning of COVID, which is so many different people um, and having kind of a couple years of like, okay, is this going to work out the way I want it to work out? Is this plan working out? Um, and now being in a situation where you're on the other side of that and just being transparent is so huge to not only our listener base, but just to the world. So I appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you. So with that, man, that brings me to my favorite part of the podcast, which is our bow tie round. And in the bow tie round, it's where our listeners get to tie one on with our guest, Mike Swenson. All right, Mike. So the first question in the bow tie round, which is the B, it stands for your best advice for somebody facing foreclosure. The O stands for one thing you are grateful for right now. And the W stands for your wildest or most interesting foreclosure related story. So Mike, what's your B? What's your best advice for somebody facing foreclosure? Yeah, I would say, you know, kind of going back to, to what I was sharing, like you've got to be willing to talk to people um, and seek solutions and seek options. Um, and so there there's options out there. And like I said, that yes is out there. That solution for you is out there. You've got to just go probably talk to more people. And I think a lot of people, especially when it comes to money, have a hard time talking about it, right? Because there's pride involved. They might feel shame um, if something's going on. If somebody can help me, I'm willing to talk to them. And so, you know, even talking to my in-laws, right? I was newly married and talking to my parent or my my new parents that I had just met, you know, six months before we got married or nine months, whatever it was. And to be able to say like, hey, could you possibly help me with this situation? Um, we, we need money. Now, if they said no, I would have to go somewhere else. They happened to say yes. And I will say they did not come from money. They are W-2 blue collar workers as well. And so it wasn't like, oh, my, my wife's parents were really wealthy. They, it wasn't like that at all. And so I had to um, seek a solution and not necessarily um, feel like I couldn't talk to them about money or my pride was too big. If somebody had a way to help me, I'm willing to ask for help. And so I think for you guys, if you're in that situation, start a conversation, ask a question, go try to talk to somebody um, because your solution is out there. You just got to have some more conversations to find that or find that person that can help you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So one thing you're grateful for right now. Yeah, I would say right now, um, you know, we've got uh, three boys at home. Um, I would, I would say so, so grateful, um, as, as many of you may, may or may not know, um, Minnesota winters are not great. <laughs> we have cold, we've got snow. And as we, we record this episode together at the end of January, um, there is no snow on the ground. And so for, for a parent of three boys, they get pretty stir crazy in the winter and to have an outlet where they can go outside and run around and burn off some energy in a winter is good because winters get long in Minnesota. And so I'm thankful for me, no snow in, in January in Minnesota. My kids will disagree with me, but, but for me, that's a huge win. Man, you got to be grateful for those small things, man. Those things are, are huge. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, Start crazy kids are, are never a way to go. I remember during COVID, uh, my wife was dealing with most of it, but like, you know, being a, a homeschool and, and being at home, those were tough times. Um, everybody mm -hmm. was just mad at everybody. <laughs> so yep. um, your wildest or most interesting foreclosure related story? Um, I mean, out, outside of my own, because I think we, we spent a, you know, a long time talking about, I would say, kind of pre-foreclosure story. 
Um, you know, I, I had a client that reached out to me, said that they needed to sell their house. Um, and through the process, um, you know, as a realtor, I also understand that not everybody's going to, um, divulge every piece of information to a stranger at the beginning. And so it was a lady who was reaching out to me asking if I could sell her property. I said, yes, um, come to her house, have the conversation, um, come to find out that, um, you know, just through asking questions, I found out that she was married. Um, and in Minnesota, you need to have both people sign the documents if you're going to sell a property. Right. So, um, I didn't, ask a lot or pry a lot, but I asked what I needed to know. Um, so we talked about this situation and needing to sell, come to find out there's a, a marriage situation that's happening. There's a divorce that's happening. Um, we get the husband to sign the documents, find out further on in the conversation that they're actually declaring bankruptcy. Um, and so we ended up selling the house um, bef right before they got into um, the foreclosure process, um, and we're able to help them out through that situation. And so, um, like I said, there's people out there that have these difficult situations. And so if you're listening to this, you're not alone. Um, there, there's people out there going through this stuff. And so I was able to help them get it sold. Um, doesn't help the situation, right? They're still going through a very difficult time, but having this property sell, um, is one less thing that they had to worry about as they were going through their divorce and their bankruptcy proceedings. Yeah, if you can get one more thing off the plate, right? Um, and we see a lot of people who, unfortunately, um, that death, disease, divorce, all those things are just so tough. Um, but as you said, you're not alone. There are other people facing challenging times. And that's why we got this podcast. That's why we get great um, great individuals like Mike to come on the podcast and just to share their story, to share their experiences, just to remind you that you're not alone and that this community at the Foreclosure Fix is here to help you figure out how to navigate the turbulent waters uh, of foreclosure. Mike, we appreciate your contribution to the podcast so much. Please let our listeners know how to stay in contact with you, how to track your journey, or how to check out your podcast, the Real Freedom Podcast. Yeah. So kind of our, our main website that we can point people to is if you go to freedomthroughrealestate.com, um, it's freedomthroughrealestate.com that points to um, our website, but it's got uh, just great information if you're ever interested in learning about investing, starting investing, um, but as well, we're real estate professionals willing to help people through different processes. Um, so go check it out there. And that's where our podcast and all that information is as well. Awesome. Y'all, I appreciate you listening so much. And if you are facing foreclosure and you need assistance, feel free to check us out at www.theforeclosurefix.com. My new book is out, The Foreclosure Fix, 12 Proven Steps to Beat the Bank, Escape Foreclosure, and Turn Your Property into a Profitable Asset. You can check it out at all outlets um, where books are sold. And in addition to that, if you found value today, share this podcast with somebody, like, subscribe, and leave us a review and rating. That really helps us with our ranking and helps us get the message out to those who may need it. Uh, with that, I appreciate you for listening. I love you and God bless you. Take care. The views and opinions on this podcast are for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. If you have a specific legal question, we highly recommend you contact a qualified legal professional.